Hi, I'm Sonia. Hi, I'm Sapna. And this is Loudmouth Lurkies. Welcome back, Loudmouths. We hope you're doing well um, in the middle of February. I know it's felt like a long year already, even though it's only February. But how are how are you doing, Sonia? I am going through it, trying to get to the end of March because that's when I graduate. Mm-hmm. Um, Yay! <laughs> Amazing. That's exciting. Yeah, but it's already such a long year. I know. I feel that. How are you uh, doing? I'm doing okay. Kind of same thing. Um, just trudging along, taking classes, peak of midterm season, all of that. Um, but we're hanging in there. The sun's shining today, so hopefully it'll be a good day. Um, but yeah, today we're super, super excited um, to kind of continue a conversation we left off on about representation. And this is a buzzword that comes a lot up in the South Asian diaspora. And just the diaspora's favorite word. Exactly. Representation. And we see it a lot. And just in our past season, we talked about representation in politics. Um, We've we've talked about representation in the media with regards to um, Mindy Kaling's Never Have I Ever. And so this conversation about representation comes up again and again. But today we wanted to switch it up a little bit and talk about representation and embracing biculturalism in literature and writing and books. Yeah, and kind of talk about how do you embrace or kind of approach representation from the perspective of a creator as an author, as opposed to as a consumer. So we're really, really excited today to have Sonia Lully. Uh, She is a romance and women's fiction author um, of Indian background. Her books have been featured in Entertainment Weekly, NPR, Glamour, The Washington Post, CBC, The Toronto Star. Uh, She's absolutely amazing. The, her debut novel, The Matchmaker's List, was a Target Diverse book club pick, City Line book club pick, and Apple Best Book of the Month. Grown Up Pose, which came out in 2020, was a Globe and Mail national bestseller and Amazon Best Book of the Month. And she just came out with Serena Singh Flips the Script, which is uh, debuted on February 16th. So if you haven't already gotten your hands on it, please make sure you do. Um, I'm personally just super excited uh, to introduce Sonia. So Sonia, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be on your podcast. I'm a huge fan. Oh, yay. Thank you. Um, I found out about the matchmakers list actually in 2019 when I was going through this binge of I need to have every South Asian like author, artist, creators work just in my room, in my space. Um, And I was at the bookstore. I picked up Matchmaker's List and I finished it on the plane ride back home. And it honestly was like 
a reintroduction to loving literature for me. So personally, I'm just a huge fan and super, super excited. Wow, thank you so much. Um, yeah, The Matchmakers List is my debut. And um, <clears throat> the title kind of speaks for itself. It's about uh, the matchmaker, which is the which is the main character's Nani. And I started writing it when I was 25 years old and I had just finished university and I had a good job. And I remember being at, remember back before COVID when there were massive Indian weddings while I was at one of these <laughs> uh, massive Indian weddings. And I remember starting to get the looks from the aunties and uncles like, oh, what's next? And I was I was an eligible young lady and I remember feeling very very frustrated because there was so much going on in my life and so many good things but whether or not this was true or not I felt like my value was going to be coming from whether or not I was getting married soon mm -hmm. um, and so that frustration and um, sort of led me to write the Metromakers list which is about you know a South Asian woman who you know of course wants to fall in love and wants all these things in life, but um, she doesn't want that pressure and that expectation on her. Yeah, That's I love cool. that. Um, and I mean, that question of what's next is so coded as well. It Usually when it comes from Indian aunties or uncles or South Asian aunties or uncles, it never means like, what are you doing for your career? Or how are you like in your life and things that are going for you? It's always so when are you getting married? <laughs> yeah, and I think it's also really awesome that you used your experiences and what you were going through personally as a way to influence what you were writing about. Um, but, but that's super, super cool to hear about. Um, I think another thing that really comes up and our audience would love to hear this as well is just what was your experience and your journey to becoming an author? Um, I know it's often career choices are very like up and down, it goes through phases, um, but I'd be interested to hear a little bit more about how you got to writing and, and how you were able to write all these books and get in all these amazing publications. Oh, sure. Um, yeah, thank you so much. Well, to be honest, like, like a lot of people, I was a huge reader and writer, um, but I always thought of it as a hobby, as something when I was in university, I set aside just because of, you know, I didn't have time. Um, but, you know, I think like a lot of um, children of immigrants, we grow up, you know, needing, raised to need security, you know, um, in a new country. And so we have, you know, these very, at least in my experience, we were taught that we, there's only a few job paths that are open to us. And we didn't know about all these other options. Uh, and so I went to law school um, and I really did enjoy it. And I worked for a year but um, I kind of was, I was very young when I finished and I was kind of at this, I don't know, uh, quarter century midlife crisis kind of thing. And um, I really wanted to try writing a book because I had this idea for the matchmakers list. And honestly, I sold it to my parents as a gap year. Um, I said, look, I really want to live in London for a year. There's this creative writing and publishing program. I'm going to do it, but I'm going to come back and I'll be a lawyer still. And that's honestly what I thought I would do. And then when I moved to London and then I met my husband, so I ended up staying there a little bit longer before coming back to Canada. And um, you know, I ended up working in publishing as my day job. It just sort of spiraled out from there. But initially I did have to sort of justify it to my family and to myself. Like, look, this is, I know this, I'm not, don't take me seriously, right? Like I don't take myself seriously. Even though they always supported me, I kind of, it was kind of like hedging my bets. Um, anyways, so when I was in London, I finished my book and I uh, went through the whole process of 
a very long process of getting an agent and then editing the book with um, with my agent and then uh, her submitting it being published. And so it, it's a very long journey. Um, and I was very, very blessed because to be honest, um, this whole diversity and publishing thing, um, it's very, very new. Uh, and it's very possible that had I had my book been gone on submission even two years earlier, it wouldn't have gotten picked up because it's only in the past few years are we really seeing a concerted, genuine effort across the industry to have more of our stories represented. So to be honest, I was, the Matchmakers List was one of the, not the first, but one of the first books uh, by a South Asian woman that was sort of successfully published in a mainstream audience. And I, wow. I, wanna, I wanna say like, I'm sure that there were more and there have been more, but if we can't find these books, I mean, I, I, I was very lucky with the timing. Yeah. I mean, speaking to that point, like, I was just so surprised to have found a South Asian author in that random bookstore on like Penn's campus. Um, I like saw it and I was like, I saw your name and I was like kind of blown away because you don't typically see that um, as often as you know, you would want. Um, but I also love that you like set it up to your parents as a gap year. I will I know. I honestly was gonna probably say, use that trick. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm like, I'm taking a gap year. So it could be interesting. It, it works like a gap, like, you know, if high school finishes, you get a job, summer job, and then university. So um, yeah, it was, it was a 25 year old going on a gap year. I love it. I'm, and what a life changing decision. That's so incredible. I love to hear um, how you took that time to just really focus on you and figure out what your, your next move was. I thought that's so cool. Um, but yeah, I think even just thinking about your, your journey to becoming an author and you mentioned how you kind of had to sell it to your parents. Um, how, how would you say, aside from your parents, did you ever get any other like commentary from families, friends? Um, how did your community react to you kind of switching up your, your narrative, your path? Um, yeah. As far as the decision to leave law to go pursue something that's very unstable and very uh, out, like out of your hands, I'm sure there were eyebrows raised. I didn't really, I didn't really feel that. Um, but I, I mean, I'm sure it was, even I was like, what am I doing right now? Um, but as far as the reaction to my books coming out, um, honestly, it's been very, very positive because my family, like, yeah, of course they want what's best for me and they were traditional and strict with me, but they have been totally supportive and they were very progressive with us and, and very supportive. And the community, our, our inner circle of aunties and uncles, I guess you could say, are also very similar minded. And so from all of them, I've seen, heard nothing but very positive things. Um, and if there are aunties and uncles bad mouthing it, well, they're not telling anyone in our family because <laughs> they know they know my mom would pick a fight. <laughs> I love that. Supportive aunties for the win. Um, no, and that really warms my heart because even like in our, even in Sapna's and I's, like our friend groups and our age group, um, there's always that we even feel that pressure of like 
you want to pursue something creative, like it's not stable, what are you doing? Like all of these, you know, these questions and these expectations. But as time goes on, and especially I think with access to so many South Asian creatives via like, you know, Instagram and other platforms, it's so heartwarming to see people living the dreams that we thought were not a reality, were not possible for us. Um, So it's also really nice to know that like communities and generations above us are also like coming to a point where they're very, very supportive of it. Yeah, totally. I totally agree. And it's, and it's good that there is more awareness. I mean, when I think back in, when I was in university 10, 12 years ago, I, um, I didn't feel like I was always the only South Asian person doing something, you know, and Mm -hmm. there was, there was this not a sense of, unless I was with my Indian community, I didn't have like that I grew up with, I didn't feel feel like I had an Indian community, not, not nobody online or anything. So it's so nice that I'm like, especially with social media, um, you know, people that are so far apart can be brought together in these very, um, very different ways. Yeah, that's awesome. I feel like being a trailblazer is really hard. So if social media is able to make that a little less intimidating, I think that's, that's so incredible. And I think the thing that I really appreciated about, you know, the matchmakers list, and as you you go on with um, Grown Up Pose and now Serena Singh flips the script, is that we talk about representation a lot, right? In the diaspora, in season three, we did a full episode with um, Bhargati Gurupasad, who was in Never Have I Ever, um, and we talk about like the widespread attention, both good and bad, the criticism about how the representation was too trite, too overdone. Some said it wasn't accurate enough. People are like, my story wasn't like this. My story was like this, this like balance to try and get it right. Um, And I think that conversation, while of course it's going to happen, it really does speak to the fact that we don't have enough South Asian representation in the media Um, whether that be through literature, whether that be through, you know, shows, movies, um, whatever it may be, a single person coming and and writing these stories and sharing these stories is never going to get it 100% right. And I say that in quotes, because what is 100% right? Um, And the thing that I really, really appreciated about Matchmaker's List specifically, um, was that you didn't do this like, I'm trying really hard to make my character, my book. This isn't like a South Asian book. Um, it's a story and it happens to be a South Asian, wo- a- about a South Asian woman and her experience. Totally. I mean, and that that I think is what um, Davy's journey and never have I ever, like she is one of the funniest characters. Like that show is insanely good and it just happens to be that it's about a South Asian girl and her family and by a South Asian amazing producer and um, of course we cling to that because you know like you guys talked about in the episode there there isn't anything like it out there so every South Asian person probably watched it the day it came out and either saw themselves in it or didn't or maybe a part of it but you're totally right that 
there is no right representation because even the three of us who might have very similar experiences are totally different people, have totally different personalities and values and understandings. And there's no right way to represent us and there has to be more. So um, for me, I'm just, and I didn't consciously do it, um, but I just wrote what I knew. So for me, I'm, uh, my dad's family is Punjabi Sikh. My mom's family is Bengali Hindu. We're a mixed family. I don't speak a word of Bengali. A little Punjabi, like I can get enough Hindi in to like order some food and kind of follow along with Bollywood movies. Like I am very Western in a lot of ways, grown up calling, you know, hating my dark skin and being called a coconut. Like I'm a very mixed bag. We're all mixed bags. And so I just wrote a character that that I knew and it happened to resonate with some people and I'm sure it didn't resonate with other people, just like with uh, Davy's character and Never Have I Ever. Yeah, and, and that brings up a good point too. It's like, I'm, I'm really curious to know, are you very cognizant of the, the words that you're saying and the um, personality types and the behaviors and the customs? Is that something you think a lot about when you're writing or what are other things that you keep in mind? Um, keep when you're thinking about how will the audience um, respond to this or what will people think about this sentence, this word? Right, well, I, I try and be consistent. Like I understand that my, I haven't, and maybe one day I will, I haven't written a character yet where, you know, she's like me, grew up with two religions, two cultures, two languages, that kind of thing. So for me, in each of my books, I've drawn on a different part of myself. So for the first book, it's not really gone into, but she's, uh, her, um, Rena's Hindu and from a Bengali lineage. And so knowing that, I tried to be consistent about the food and about the language and about certain things. Um, in Grown Up Pose, um, the main character, Anusha, is a Punjabi Hindu, and her family is very quite superstitious, like, like my nani is, you know, with Nudger and all these things. And so I tried to be consistent there um, when writing that, just to make it feel more authentic and, and represent, because I know that I'm, I'm not 100% this character. And then for Serena Singh flips the script. Uh, for the first time, I'm writing a character of a Sikh background. And uh, she is, uh, she's, she has a very conflicting feelings about it. Uh, she's Punjabi. She has not really had a good relationship with her family and with her sick um, upbringing. Uh, and so I, again, tried to be consistent. Yeah, I'm really excited about Serena Singh flips the script because like that, as you were saying that, I was like, that's me. That's me. It was just like ringing bells. Um, and I think that's like really powerful, right? To know and to see people, characters, um, experiences that remind you of yourself. And, you know, we, we talk about this and um, we talked about it quite a bit about how like for so long we we held on to representation that was really weak. Like Cheetah Girls goes to India. Oh my God, my I was just so obsessed. I was re I was ready. Or like Baljeet on Phineas and Ferb or just the terrible, there's some really bad representations hey, when we were Baljeet, really young. Baljeet <laughs> has my heart. Malik Banjoli, we love him. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I think there's that, there's that conscious decision of like how, how much of the diaspora do you want to represent and how do you do it without like being too much um I don't know if you've you've seen the tweet but it was like um 
diaspora writers. Um, and it was, uh, Sapna, you're going to have to, you're going to have to fill me in on this one. I, no, I think you remember it better. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, someone, the person who wrote the tweet, um, I think was, ha, grew up in a very Spanish speaking background and they were like, I go to the like, biblioteca. My, yeah, biblioteca with my abuela. And like, it's just super stereotypical <laughs> to a point where it's like, eh, is that really believable? Um, and so you find that and then trying to strike the balance, I'm sure is super hard. Um, but I think, like you said, when you keep your own experiences kind of at the forefront of how you approach writing characters, um, that I'm guessing is, is probably a way that you can help strike the balance. Yeah, I mean, I, I write what I know and what I feel is authentic to me, like you said, and um, I don't, I mean, it is fiction. I do have to, I, I'm not writing my own story. I do have to sort of borrow things from pop culture and from my friend's stories, like in the matchmakers list. Um, I don't think, I hope my friend doesn't listen to this, but that whole part of her finding her, um, her marriage ad in the newspaper, that happened to one of my friends. Like this is, this is real stuff. Yeah. So um, don't poke around your dad's desk if you don't want to find stuff like that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's, um, it, it, it's borrowing from the truth. And I think that what I write, I probably, probably some people don't find it, 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 it represents who we are, but we are all different and it represents me. So, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah. We're not a monolith. Yeah. Um, but also speaking about matchmakers list and pulling from you know, experiences, whether they be your own or not, I have to ask that scene where she's in the bar with this brown man, she's on a date. Did you have horrible dating? Like, do you have your brown girl dating horror stories? So I, um, I never did that personally. Like I had, I've dated across ethnicities. My husband is, is white. He's not Indian. We met at, you know, in, a, in university um, but I have gone on bad dates and I have met men like that I actually worked at a, a cocktail bar the first six months I lived in London and I made which a is lot so of, cool that's so cool that's <laughs> the coolest thing I've ever done uh, and uh, the um, a lot of interesting people come in there you know and talk to the bartender and uh, things things you don't really want to hear <laughs> Well, hey, I mean, I guess those are experiences you get when you convince your parents to to take gap year in London. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, mom, dad, it's okay. I'm a lawyer. I can't screw up that much. <laughs> Goes and becomes a bartender in London. Exactly. I love that. Oh my gosh. And I'm sure you just got so many stories from just being a bartender and hearing everyone's like half drunken thoughts and <laughs> just being able to incorporate that in their literature is probably the coolest thing. Totally. I, maybe I told you guys when we talked before, but one, one night I was making drinks and okay, I have to, I have to brag a little, like I was really fast and I was really good. I could only make 10 cocktails, but I was like, I was really fast. Okay. And it was busy. Okay. And you're saying you're going to have to, we're going to have to set up another call and you're going to have to teach us. Yes. I will, I will demonstrate it for you. Okay. And I was making Perfect. like four cocktails in a row for this brown girl and she was a little drunk and at the end of it, she like reached over the bar and grabbed my hand and she was like, good for you. And I, and I didn't get it at the time, but what she was getting at was like, 
brown girls aren't allowed to work in bars, you know, like a lot of us. Yeah, so, wow. um, yeah, I think maybe she hadn't seen a brown girl bartender before. And I was like, yeah, thank you. I mean, I don't think I've met a brown girl bartender. So, all right. Yeah. I'm sure After this pan- I'm sure we just have to <laughs> group together. If you are a brown, if you're a brown girl bartender listening to this podcast, let us hit us up. I will after post pandemic, I will come to where whatever bar you work at, like just tips for being a brown girl bartender. (laughs) Before we, you know, we kind of talk about your new book, Serena Singh flips the script, which I'm very very excited for. I have to ask, um, do you have your favorite like brown author um literature like books by brown authors specifically I guess South Asian women yeah so like you said before about you know clinging to the rep we have um this book it's you know most one of the most famous brown authors but Jhumpa Lahiri's um The Namesake which came out when I was young and it was about it was about a boy um but it was a, a boy who was from a Bengali background and growing up in Boston, I think. And that book just stuck with me because it was the first piece of literature that I remember reading where I was like, wow, this kid is, this is my life. Um, and so I've I read everything Jhumpa Lahiri has ever written. I think she has a new book coming out this spring actually, which I should pre-order right after this. And um, it's, uh, yeah, that is just by far the best book for me. Um, I don't, some things you just read at the right time and it sticks with you. As far as um, other South Asian authors that write uh, romance and women's fiction, I'm like so happy that I'm not some token on a list. I'm not the only brown one writing. There's Uzma Jalaluddin who's so good, Sarah Desai, Farah Heron, Sonia Dave. I could go on, but there's like a huge number of South Asian women that have been published recently and I would recommend all of them. That sounds amazing. And thank you for that list. We're going to go check out all of them. Um, That sounds incredible. Yeah, I think another question, just thinking about going back to Serena Singh flips the script, just came out last week. So once again, if you haven't gotten it already, make sure you do that. Um, But could you tell us a little bit about this book in particular and circling back to the conversation we had about representation and embracing biculturalism? How did you approach that in this story specifically? Um, Well, Serena's character in this book, um, she has always um, had a very complicated feeling about her upbringing. She sort of, I don't want to spoil her anything, but sort of her outlook on life has sort of been um, fed by uh, trauma that she's experienced. Um, And the inequality that she's seen within her own household between her mother and her father. Um, And so that was something that I had to do a lot of deep thinking about and even research. And because I was not borrowing from my own life, you know, my mom kept her home name in when she got married in the early 1980s. You know, she's a, she's a doctor. I was raised by a very, very powerful, amazing woman. And she was raised by an amazing woman. And so that inequality is not something I personally felt, but it's something that does exist and is rampant within our culture. And so, and 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 we, and we hear stories, and I and I know of people, and so I, so I, this one required a lot of thinking on my part, and ultimately because of the 
inequality she has seen in her home. Um, Serena Singh has always wanted to be an independent woman, not have to rely on anyone. Um, she uh, does not want to get married. Uh, she does not want to have a family. And she's always been focused on our career and has faced a lot, gotten a lot of heat from her parents and her community because what woman doesn't want to get married and have children, right? So, if, so her journey sort of starts from that point. And at the beginning of the book, um, her younger sister and her best friend uh, has just announced that she's pregnant. And Serena discovers that she's actually very lonely because she, her perception is that all the women in her life, her great friends and her, now her sister, have gone off and started a family and don't have time for Serena anymore. So while Serena is going on this oh, going on this journey of, you know, what does she want? And does she want romantic love? Like, and what does she want in her life? She's also searching for a new best friend. It's a romantic comedy about finding a new best friend because what I found was that the most recent time that I moved cities, um, I was not, it was not for a job. It was not for a university program. I didn't have any friends. And I was like, oh my God, what do I do on a Saturday night? Who do I text? All my friends live, you know, a four hour flight away. And so I actually, like Serena in the book, I joined Bumble BFF. I went to meetups. I, what else did I do? Some crazy things to try and meet some, to try and meet some people. Oh, I love um, that. Yeah. That, that's so interesting. I feel like the experience that you just brought up is so universal. And, and that's kind of what makes it like, I don't want to say coming of age, but like coming into um, your mid twenties and, and experiencing that. Yeah, as you were as you were sharing that, I was like, Sonia, you just took my life story and you turned it into a book. Um, Sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, this genuinely could not have come at a better time. Um, like in this podcast, we we try to be as you know open and vulnerable and honest as possible because I feel like that goes a very long way. And as you were talking about that, there's there's so many things within, you know, like Punjabi culture specifically, um, which also, you know, carries over to the broader South Asian experience of inequality in the household, right? Trauma from like being gro growing up and seeing like inequality in the household, seeing like a mom that's not being treated the way she should be treated. Um, and then getting to a point where you're like, I want to focus on myself, um, and I've grown up so independent because of these experiences, but as a lot of us have realized over the pandemic, loneliness is real. We all at some level crave human connection. And how do you get that when it feels like, you know, the rest of your community, the rest of your friends um, are living their own lives with people that they love? Um, and how do you, in a brown space, be okay with not wanting to to go after that same thing? Totally. I, I mean, one thing that I try to address in all all my books is this idea of the expectations on us. And it's you know, you know, some people writing the book might think, oh my God, she hates men or she hates marriage or all these things. It's like, no, I I am married. I I plan to have a family one day. I do. There are a lot of things about my life that are conventional, but I just don't want to be pressured or forced into it. If I get to a choice, it has to be from my own, um, from my own free will, you know. 
And so, yeah, I think when we grow up in a household or a community where um, there is so much inequality and things that we resent, it's so easy to just cut all of it off, you know, and say, you know what, I don't want to touch any of this, the culture, none of it, when they're actually could be really good things that we're leaving behind because there's so many wonderful parts of our you know, language and our food and our culture and our religions that I want to bring with me into the future and into my life and the next generation. But there's also a lot of sh- shit. So I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this that I want to leave. Oh, behind. go for it. Love it. There's stuff that, there's <laughs> stuff that do not, does not belong in this century. And it is our generation, I think, that you know we're trying our best to to leave it, to leave the bad and take the good. No, that's, that's really well said. Um, and yeah, I think part of your, your work as an author is really challenging that because in a sense you get to choose what parts of the culture you're, you're writing about and what parts of someone's story you're including. Um, so I think that that's a, a really good way to embrace that biculturalism is, is choosing what you, you want to do with it. Um, yeah. And I like that, and I like that, you know, you mentioned that a lot of parts of your life are conventional, but you don't want to be pressured into that. Like living, getting married, having a family, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it as long as it's your decision and not anybody else's, um, which I really, really respect. Totally. I'm sort of, um, you know, the year that I was planning my wedding with my family, and I have to say my husband's very feminist. He, he took 50% of the responsibility for that Indian wedding, you know, like he would love it, (laughs) but it was really frustrating that year when that was the year right before the matchmakers list came out. And when people asked me about the wedding or what wedding diet I was doing or like what I was wearing. And I was like, okay, I have some big professional news that I'm actually way more excited about. Like no offense. Like I love my husband and it was a great party, but I was way more excited for the matchmakers list. But the focus was on my wedding. And now I've been married for, I don't know, like two or three, two and a half-ish years. And, um, you know, I'm in my early 30s. And even from not just like older generations, but even from friends or acquaintances, it's like, um, I can't like tell people, oh, guess what? I have some news. And because everyone thinks I'm pregnant constantly. I constantly (laughs) have to, to like get like put the hopes down, you know, it's like, no, this is about my career. I am not pregnant, but I will tell you if and when I am. I mean, also, like, at what point does telling someone you're pregnant go from oh shit to oh wow, congrats? Exactly. I don't know. I will let you know when I find out. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> um, I think bringing it back to Serena Singh, because I feel like of all your characters, Serena Singh stands out to me the most as an absolute loudmouth lardgy. So um, given our podcast and given the name of our podcast, uh, I have to ask, what does being a loudmouth lardgy mean to you? And who are the loudmouth lardgies in your life? Um, it is being a woman who is not afraid to live and love how she wants. Um, That's what I try to live by. And I grew up with immense privilege, especially, you know, considering that I had such a supportive family, I understand that it's not easy for everyone to be a loudmouth lucky, you know, I was supported to be one, but some people may be in situations where 
or they're not, and it's going to be that much harder. But um, everyone's journey is their own. Oh, that was so sweet. I love that. Um, that was such a different interpretation. And, and I love that that's, it's open to interpretation and, and the whole concept of loving and being whoever you want is just so beautiful. Yeah. I mean, Subna, I have to ask, like, who are the, lo- like, what does being a loud, given that, that difference of interpretation, what does being a loudmouth mean to you? Loudmouth yeah. mean to you and who are the loudmouths in your life? Yeah. And that's something that um, my friends, maybe the ones who like, who aren't as familiar with the podcast or who haven't gotten the chance to listen to it much, they ask me what, what does it mean? And I always say, um, at least in my perspective, it's someone who speaks up against stigmas in our community, which in so many ways, Sonia, you are doing as well. So I thought that was so cool that you can be a loudmouth in so many different ways as well. Um, Thanks. I really like that. But neither of you answered my question. Who are the loudmouths in your life? Oh. <laughs> Sonia, Sonia is the loudmouth in my life. The only one. I better be. Um, the original loudmouth Larky is actually my nani, who's ill right now. She was, you know, came to Madison, Wisconsin in the early 1960s. And she learned how to drive a car. She had a master's degree, which she got at home you know she had a she earned more money than my grandfather at the beginning um she yes. was this amazing woman who stood up for everyone you know even before like in you know you know when widows or when um women who were sort of outcast from the community would you know she stood up for everybody she was such a she is such a um beautiful soul that just welcomed everybody you know she never let things like caste or whether someone was a different religion or background or socioeconomic status she never cared about any of that and that was back in like the 60s and 70s when you know it can't even, we can't even imagine what it would, would have been like as an immigrant in America wow. at that time that's wow. amazing well I'm so I'm so touched that well thank you so much one for sharing that um and for it's amazing that, you know, you have your original loudmouth Larky. And I guess, yeah, she is the original loudmouth Larky. We love it. Yeah. Um, and if you, um, you, and you read the matchmakers list and the Nani character uh, is totally based on my, on my, just like a, a real sass mouth, I have to say. I love it. I love <laughs> it. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, this episode is dedicated to your Nani, the original loudmouth Larky. Thank you. So before we wrap it up, we have to remind you all that Serena saying flips the script is out. Um, Make sure you check it out. And we'll actually be doing a really fun giveaway with Sonia on our Instagram. So make sure you check that out for the details at Loudmouth or Geese. And thank you so much for joining us. Um, It was so great talking to you today. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. This was awesome. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Loudmouth Ledkeys. You can catch us next week on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Anchor. A huge shout out to Sindura Designs for the beautiful episode artwork this season. Make sure to check out her work on Instagram and her portfolio at sinduradesign.com. And also, don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe. 
We'd love to hear your thoughts and we'll see you next week. Come, get it, 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 get it